You know, as, as um, Travis just said, hopefully we could all preach with a moment's notice. I'm saying that because I had more than a moment's notice. Pastor had asked literally before missions, maybe a week or two, when they finally pinpointed down the week they were going to finally get away. And, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. And literally within a couple of days, God just put it in my heart what I wanted to say to you today. The problem with that has been it's been here for a long time. It was hard to get it in words to the point where I, I literally, and Travis saw it all through the week, I avoided trying to sit down and put anything, you know, pen to paper, put it in writing. I was telling Beth this morning that I literally was tempted to stand up and try to just uh, go without notes because it is so personal to me. But that's a prescription for failure. And uh, so hopefully bear with me. It seemed like when he asked me, and, and I haven't changed my mind, but because we are now, if you will, we're three weeks, we're three Sundays away from the day we took up our faith promise offering. And if you notice in the bulletin, we did keep it in there today, then that's the same total it was last week. We're at 384000 and uh, and some change for faith promise. And that is awesome. Amen. Amen. There it is. $950.80. And I say that no other cards came in this week. So we didn't change that number. But it is three weeks. And I wanted to say this. That if you're visiting with us for the very first time. As Travis already said, thank you. You've honored us by coming to Battlefield Baptist Church today. And maybe you're visiting again for the first time in a long time. And so that, what is faith promise? Maybe it's totally foreign, unfamiliar words. You know, when Jackie and I arrived here 25 years ago at Battlefield Baptist Church, they were unfamiliar to us. But a faith promise offering is, number one, we need to understand is biblical. And number two, for those that maybe aren't familiar, and just to remind ourselves, it's promising to give, as we've said, a said dollar amount each week or bimonthly, uh, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever. Sometimes we have those that give annually, a one-time. Praise the Lord for that too. But we have a schedule by faith, trusting God to supply for the cause of sending missionaries out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, pastor has said, and it's true, we say, you know, we need it for budgeting purposes. We're not in any danger of not supporting the 100, and, and now that's what we just voted and took on, Three new works a couple weeks ago. What's our total now? 121? 121, I think. You know, we're not in any danger of not supporting those, but what it enables Pastor to do when he says to budget it is how many new ones can we possibly bring in this year to add to our missionary family? And secondly, how many projects and what kind of projects can we can, uh, can take on? And now let me say, because... I'm sure some of you are thinking, Larry, we know all of this. We've been here 25 years too, some longer. But you're thinking we know all of this. You're boring me to death, so move on. I say that before Jackie gives me this and just stops me in my tracks. But I wanted to reestablish the precedent, if you will. This is our largest event, and I believe the most important event of the year for a reason. Because, you know, if I'm not mistaken, and I think it would have already happened had Pastor not taken Chris to out of town. But our faces, which, by the way, if you didn't notice, these were all new face banners this year. 
The faces are going to come down and put away. The banners that we see spread out are, are what we call a choir banner, the door banners, everything that had our logo on it. The flags, the mission flags are going to be put away. The flags on the back wall are going to come down. And what happens is it's the only visible reminder. And the only thing that will be left is our theme verse, which is Mark 13, 10. And we see in the gospel must be first published among all nations. And we've taken to the last year or two, the logo will probably stay up also, the first things first. But all visible signs, you know, the missionary guests, our special guests, they've long since left town also. And along with that, most of the hoopla and the excitement and the energy that we generate here as Missions Revival is becoming more and more just a distant memory. Been here for 25 years, I know it's true. And the answer to the question of what I should have asked, and I know I just jumped right into this with, as I said, Jackie threw me off. The question is, now what? Now what do we do? You know, we used to years ago, and I'm thankful we don't, although I, that we banner in the office about building the displays. When we used to shut down the gymnasium August 1st, and we would divide it up into all the adult classes, and we built, and before we started using the gym, and the old motel was here, and if you're not familiar with that, right on the other side of the info desk, uh, on the opposite wall from the elevator is a picture of that. And we would take those classrooms and literally over the years as we progressed, and, and a lot of you are nodding your heads of those fun times, but very long days and nights. And it got to where building in the classroom wasn't enough. We even projected out into the parking lot. You talk about some curb appeal. And people would literally drive in to find out what what are you guys doing? Are you crazy? Man, we had planes crashed out here. We had the Mayflower over here on this end. Man, those were good times and they were hard times. They were tiring times. So there was a lot of energy put in. And now what? And the short answer is, now the work begins. We metaphorically roll up our sleeves ready to do battle. Pastor mentioned it several times in the weeks leading up to Faith Promise Sunday, that Satan the devil hates missions. Every year, things start taking place that didn't happen all throughout the year. Maybe even, um, well, families just come under attack. Let's just leave it at that. Families come under attack in many, reasons, many ways, many reasons, many forms. He will do everything in his power to defeat our giving to missions. And we cannot rest and let our guard down. Thomas Edison said, show me a thoroughly satisfied man and I will show you a failure. I think it's something Edison was probably pretty familiar with. Because he also said at a different time, I've never failed. He said, I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. What, how many ways have we found in our own lives that don't work? Sometimes we're so stubborn, we're like, I know this should work, and we keep pounding our head up against the wall, trying to, to fit that, that round peg in the square hole, so to speak. Number one way to fail is to be focused on the dollar in hand, if you will, and not on the faith in God. God will supply it. If we have our eyes on ourselves and not on the cross, it's been said if we can't afford to give to missions, then we don't understand faith promise giving. Men in, in those days used to 
pull out their wallets and throw it out, whether your billfold, pocketbook, or whatever. I left my wallet in the office. I didn't want to be tempted to do that. But if that's our focus, if we're walking by sight and not by faith, we're not recognizing the power to which faith promises successful by. And that power is the power which comes from and through the Holy Spirit of God. That's why I had Travis read Acts 1-8. Yes, I know most of us could almost quote Acts 1-8 verbatim. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. As I already said, it's not an unfamiliar verse. And in fact, we focus on the last half so much that I dare say, and I would wholeheartedly agree, it's the cornerstone in the Great Commission for us to go into the world. But what do we do then? Maybe we gloss over the first half. But in my way of thinking, the first half is the key. The first half says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Another Bible translation says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You know, in Matthew 28, 18, and I I know I didn't give that to you guys upstairs, but Jesus, as he's speaking there uh, at the ending of, of Matthew's gospel account, he says, all power is given unto me. And now that's a transfer of power, if you will, for Jesus is giving it unto us. Remember, this is Jesus Christ, resurrected, Messiah in the flesh, telling his disciples that essentially they would be powerless without the Holy Ghost of God. You know, they've had Jesus amongst them for three and a half years approximately. He had been preparing them already uh, just a few nights, or really just the night before the crucifixion at the Last Supper. The le- you know, there's three, four chapters in John where that, that discourse is all taking place in the upper room. And he's telling him he's leaving. And if that sounds too strong, that they would be powerless without the Holy Ghost. If you will, just look up a few verses ahead in Acts 1, at verses 4 and 5. And setting the stage to that, let me just say this. Luke, who is the, the human writer, because we know it's all inspired by the, the Holy Spirit. You know, he opened, literally in the first several verses, a summary of Jesus' works, his appearances, his teachings after his resurrection. And then in verse 4, the Bible says, and being assembled together, meaning Jesus is setting with the disciples, with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. And then quotations in red, if your Bible is such, in red letter, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. If it wasn't obvious, notice what the Bible says Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. You know, he didn't ask them to stick around. This wasn't just some casual suggestion. Hey, by the way, if you guys don't have anything to do, just just hang out here and stay together. No, it was a command to wait for the Spirit of God to be received to be filled with God's Spirit, for with it was the power to change the world. 
And it's that power today which we will still change the world by and lead the world to Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm thinking if the disciples who have just been strengthened, encouraged by walking with the Savior, with Jesus himself, needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need it? Who've not had the benefit of living and breathing and talking with Jesus in person. How much more critical is it that we try not to do anything of ourselves, but we do it with the Spirit of God. And we're trusting the Spirit. And we know, of course, in chapter 2 in the book of Acts records the arrival of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Literally 10 days removed from the day of Christ's ascension, those few days hence arise. Now, we don't have time to even start to look at that today. So I, I and trust, just to remind you, read that. Read of the, the, the wonder, because, you know, why did those things happen? So the disciples would not miss that the Spirit had arrived and filled them. And since that day at Pentecost, we can declare unequivocally, without doubt, that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit also. Amen? Does it mean we always feel the Spirit every day? Not at all. But the more we attune ourselves, the more we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, the more we surrender our will and asking for the Spirit to guide and direct, He will do so. I'm a living proof of that. If we could summarize those first three chapters of the book of Acts, it would be as such. The chapter 1, the Savior literally went up. Chapter 2, the power came down. And chapter 3, the saints went out. Praise the Lord. That's still the methodology today for the saints to go out into the world. We're all commanded to be that witness. And it's the same power that we have to rely on when times of temptation and doubt begin to set in, when those trials, when those troubles, and I'm talking about those things that take us away from filling our promise to give to missions. I just made a, a short list, and really it's very broad terms. Unexpected job loss or change. Yep, Jackie and I have just recently gone through that. Illness, disease, or worse, who hasn't at one time or another faced those. Other sudden or unexpected expenses. And the last one, which really gets probably the most uncomfortable, is financially when the desire overtakes the need. Yep, been there, done that. I dare say that all of these have happened to most of us at one time or another. Those young people that haven't had, you know, we haven't uh, had the finances and the means, your time's coming. If anyone's sitting here, no, I won't fail. Um, we will. We do. And another way to say all of this is simply, as, as those that have served with me on staff here, and we get talking sometimes about, you know, what's going on, and we know that, Life happens. Things unexpectedly just come up. How each one of us responds when calamity comes calling is the difference between success and, as Edison said, a way that doesn't work. I believe the church at Corinth was at such a crossroads. If you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. I've been wondering all morning long while I didn't ask Travis to read those verses. And I let him off the hook so easily. 
But if you will, we do have time to look at these real brief. And, uh, and I want to do that for I want us to pull, draw some things out of here. So beginning in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them at, of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready, lest haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. We, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all ground grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. And now he that ministers seed to the sower, which is us, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit there, or increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. You know, this, this offering had been such, we see the Corinthian church had made a pledge oh, a year ago, he says, and they were going to send money to help those that were persecuted, the persecuted believers, the Christians, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. That's what verse 2 tells us. And it had pledged it been so phenomenal, Paul says that many had been provoked to give by their zeal. In fact, the, the, the disciples had been going out and bragging of it and encouraging the churches in Macedonia. And now Paul's saying, you know, lest our bragging is going to be in vain, unless it's empty. He's reminding them, you need to give. You need to be faithful to that promise. And he wants them to be ready. He says, and he didn't know, maybe some Macedonians were even going to come with them. You see, Corinth was a seaport city, was really one of, of major influence. And it literally, the, the, the city of Corinth lives on a, this tiny little isthmus of land. And it was common in those days when the, when the seas would begin to turn, ships would come into the port on the one side on the west, and literally the, the, the stretch of land was so small, things would be transported overland through Corinth to the other side of the sea, to another port. And all of that was part of Corinth. It was a wealthy city by biblical standards in Jesus' day, in Paul's day and time, not like the church at Philippi. And their promise had just generated so much excitement. You know, I remember, and it's been quite a while now since, uh, since I've seen it, and, and we didn't bring in the Tribune in those days. Now, 
Pastor Greg does. He brings in what's called our Baptist Bible Tribune, our fellowship uh, periodical that goes out. They used to print a list. And so most of you are maybe only one or two, maybe Joe, as I think about it, might have been familiar with it. And they would put a list of churches. They would rank the top 20 or 25 giving churches within the fellowship. Obviously, they have no way of knowing how much money would go out to the other umbrella groups. And we have other groups that we support. We're not 100% BBF, although that's our predominant because Pastor Skinner was Baptist Bible Fellowship through and through. Pastor Greg went to uh, uh, Bible College there in Springfield also. And, and you know, that's our, that's our DNA, if you will. But I can tell you it was a source of pride. You know, men would compare, where, where, are, you in the, where, are, you, where are you this year on that list? We would see it. And really it became such that it was becoming a problem. And they stopped presenting it because men, you know, we're coming a little bit, not, not necessarily boasting, but let's face it, it was boasting of where we were at. Needless to say, Battlefield was always on that list. And we're not, we by no means were the largest group. But, you know, I watched in the years when I, especially when I was on staff the first time, 99, 2000, 01, 02, till we went to Bible college and then still being exposed. And, and every year we would almost move up one or two spots because the people here know and understand and love missions. Amen. That's something that, that's been given to us is our heritage. And I, I pray that it will always be. But we don't want to be bragging in vain. But, you know, now because the Corinthians had failed to follow through and Paul's encouraging them to be faithful, we're only given a glimpse into what may have happened. And if you'll turn back a couple pages to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, I think that maybe gives us the best idea of what happened. In verse 14 and following, it says, But, ye, but be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what, hath, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. And there's, there's half a dozen messages we could preach just from those four verses, or five verses inclusive. The sum of it all, I think, is really they'd spent too much time with the unsaved world. What's our reasons for failure as we relate this to, to the 21st century? Could it be, many times it is family, is assembling wise. Could be your neighbors, friends, could be our school friends. Could be co-workers. Verse 15, Paul said, And what concord, meaning what harmony, hath Christ with Belial? And if you notice the word Belial is... is uh, Started, it's been capitalized as a title, as a name. And here Paul's using it as a name for Satan. From the Hebrew Bible, with the uh, traditional text, it, the meaning of it was it personified evil. 
Are we living in an evil world today? Can anyone here honestly deny that we're not living in such a world and surrounded by people who giving to missions is a ridiculous idea? Why on earth would you want to give any money at all for such a purpose? You know, quite literally, it's speaking of what we choose to watch, who we choose to listen to on the media, personal-wise, whoever we talk to, our speech. How about what we post on social media? Does our life reflect the world or does it reflect Christ? If someone is looking at us on a daily basis, when say when we're outside of the church context, what do they see in us? Do they even know that we're a Christian? What do we do as a church now that everything will be taken down to remind us except just, just these things on the side walls? You know, when the, say when the lights are out, the cameras are turned off. As Willie Nelson sang, and Don Meredith probably made it more famous years ago, dating myself to Monday night football, turn out the lights, the party's over. And then what happens? What takes place? You know, it wasn't Paul's intent to beat down the church at Corinth. And it's not God's to beat us down, and it's not mine to beat us down. What I want us to focus on totally, and the mood changes in verses 16, 17, and 18. And the ideal changes to those of hope and encouragement. Looking at just verse 16 only, it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye, meaning you and me, are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and, <clears throat> and they shall be my people. You know, ever since the day of Pentecost from Acts 2, I've already said it, every believer who's trusted Jesus Christ, and there's a difference here. Not a believer that Jesus was a great prophet, and that maybe Jesus did a lot of great things, but know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's here to be your personal and my personal Savior. And if we've made that decision, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. We're the temple of the living God, amen? A living temple. You know, Israel had to go, if we remind ourselves, first they had, to, they had their tabernacle in the wilderness. Would God would come down and dwell in the tabernacle that He would be with their people the chosen people, Israel. And then Solomon's temple was built in the city of David. But still, they had to go to the temple to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship, if you will. We don't have to do any of that. We have God right here. As Paul wrote in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 1-5, through turn over just a page, I think, from where we're at. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, meaning we witnessed it, of the grace of God bestowed. And what was that grace? The, the, the giving grace, the grace of giving bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty 
that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know, as Paul writes here, and he's writing really primarily about the church of Philippi, which indeed was a persecuted church. The Jewish historian Josephus had said of it in his writings that perhaps the church of Philippi never ran more than 30 people. It was small. And yet their giving had been so great out of their, not of their their abundance, but out of their deep poverty. See, Paul had been to Philippi. He knew. He had witnessed it firsthand. In fact, he said, literally, we had to be babes to receive it. I don't remember, and I know Jackie and I, as our times as missionaries, not once remembering have, had to be begged to receive an offering. Because without that, we can't, we can't go. We can't, we can't take the gospel to the, the lost and dying world. I'm reminded of Terry Weesey. We used to support Terry Weesey years ago. Some may remember Brother Terry, and actually he was at Bible College with Pastor Skinner. In those days, although he was a little bit younger, he had gone there right out of, out of high school. But Jackie and I had the privilege of being in a missions conference with him. And uh, I remember him sharing this story of, of faith promise giving. And we need to understand, and, and those of us know, we, we get exposed to it occasionally. The Philippines is almost far exceeding what we're doing now here in the United States, especially in terms of the Baptist Bible Fellowship. They are sending out hundreds of missionaries around the world. They have their own clearinghouse, the Asian Baptist Bible Clearinghouse, to handle their, their giving. But Brother Terry had a family in one of his church plants. And, you know, they're teaching faith promise giving. And they had taken up cards. And you, you have to re- remember, number one, what? we don't put our names on our cards. We never have. We never will. Nobody here knows who is pledged to give what. But different cultures, things are done differently, and names are put on the cards. I know in Africa, in Sierra Leone, they, wanted, they actually wanted us to have it up on postings of people's tithes and offerings. And I just I said, man, I can't do this. I'm sorry. It goes against every grain that we, we do here. But Terry told of this family, and if I remember right, it was a family of 10. Mother and dad and eight children. And they had pledged to give $10 more than what they had given the year before. And Terry knew there was no way possible they could give that. And he went to them. And I've, I've forgotten the name of the gentleman in, in the years since. But he said, brother, I know you don't have that. And he said, yes, you're right, we don't. But the family, we've all had a family meeting. Myself and all of the children were involved. And we all agreed it was so important for us to increase our giving that we agreed if one member did not eat one day of the week. And they said, you know, the good news, it was 10 of us. So it it meant we didn't skip a meal every single week, but every 10 days. And the children bought into that. They were absolutely said, we have to do it. If they skipped feeding and eating one day, they would have the money to give. We don't like to talk about it, but there is an element of sacrifice, I believe, in the faith promise giving. Sacrificing 
whatever it might be. I've never truly, I, I, I've said before, I'm not sure I've ever totally stretched the boundaries of, of the faith that I should in our giving. Paul wrote in verse 3, he said it was for to their power. And I bear record, and then yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Then Paul corrected himself in mid-verse, didn't he? He said, it was beyond their power. And that's really the key. We have to understand that. I hope we see that today. That's the key. Giving beyond our own sight and ability and relying on the power of the Spirit of God to ultimately, ultimately provide to our need. Maybe today you're here and you know you've never failed to fulfill your commitment. I dare say probably most of you never have. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Continue to pray that you never will. When I'm, when I'm standing up here, as we, a lot of times we say we're, pre- we're preaching to ourselves. because Not that I think I'm in danger this year. But I know that unexpectedly, really, Jackie just lost her job at the hospital, along with 19 others. Praise the Lord. God opened up another employment opportunity with family. Thanks to Megan's parents. She's now gainfully employed at Polysonics. And, uh, and I say it's family, but you know, the reality is she's making a whole lot less than she was. But I know even without those things, things that, that I've shared previously, that our family went through in those, those teenage years, and Travis has shared those, and we're not going to bring those out again, but I know there was one year, maybe two years, and probably even three years in a row, filling out a card and then failing Miserably, getting just derailed because life happens. We take our eyes off the cross. You know, maybe you're already seeing dark clouds on the horizon right now, three weeks in, clouds of doubt. Many are thinking that failing to give my faith promise will never happen. And I pray it never will. And I, I'm standing before you today, and as far as I pray and hope and to the best fiber of my body, I say we will never fail again also. But I'm mindful of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on what would be his final week in his human life here on earth. And all four gospels share verses. Speaking of that day, it was, it was such an event. It was such a glorious time. What do we know? We know that the people, the streets were lined with people that day. People lining the streets shouting Hosanna, meaning save, rescue, savior. Shouting Hosanna to the son of David, which the literal implication is the one who saves, the one who will save. They knew Jesus Christ was the one they had been waiting for. Not just a few believed. Matthew 21.10 says all the city was moved. And then what happened? In just a few short days, the same crowds were shouting to crucify him. What happened? Life happened. You know, they changed that 180 degrees. They were under no threat from Rome. There wasn't, there's not one bit of biblical evidence that any one of those individuals was threatened in any way. But the tide, the emotion changed. Peter went from declaring that he would never fall away, that he would even die with the Lord 
to denying Christ with this in just a few short hours. Life happens. Let me implore all of us as we close today. You know, life will happen, amen? Life does happen. That we would rely fully on the Holy Spirit to see us through every hardship and that we might claim that victory in Jesus Christ. What I know is this. Every year there's cards filled out. As I said, I've done it. And then very good people, very meaningful, but we get caught up in the emotion. I sat there and cried a couple of times that I couldn't no longer rob God. We had to, had to give, and I would show Jackie the amount, and she would, yeah, 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 yeah. And I would fail. I pray that none of us will. I also know that there's people in this congregation, maybe, maybe missing today, whatever, but there's people here that will give who didn't fill out a card. And what I know, that if we're faithful, 384 is nothing. We'll go through. We'll go over 400,000. Because every pastor that I've ever met, usually, and, and I've never asked a pastor this, but I, he probably has in mind, you end up knowing of people, yeah, they give to missions all the time, but for whatever reason, they won't fill a card out. I know some pastors, some good friends, they even, as I say, they'll laugh about them. Say, oh, yeah. He laughs and says, yeah, Pastor, I didn't do a card this year. But you know you can count on me. 384 is just a goal, a number. But let's attempt to do great things for God. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.